0: Hello, and welcome to the first episode of Engineering Perspectives, a podcast that looks at what it is really like to work on an engineering team. Our guests today include developers, QA, product management, and project management. They'll be discussing a couple of questions that are useful for people who are just getting started in the field, as well as some topics that should be interesting regardless of your tenure. So let's jump in. The two questions we'll be talking about are what led people here into the engineering career, and what's something you wish you knew when you first started? And we'll just kind of go around the table, starting with Drew.
1: Okay, Uh, I'm Drew. Um, I'm a software test engineer, which means I uh, am responsible for code that tests other code, um, and just testing in general. Um, I got into the uh, field by um, starting as a manual tester about 10 years ago uh just sort of as to get a job type thing um it was you know I was interested in tech and stuff but um I had only done like programming as like a hobby and um sort of very slowly uh got into engineering just as part of the job just because uh um test automation makes your life easier as a manual tester so that's kind of how I started doing it and then just sort of got super interested in it after I'm um, doing that for a while. Um, something I wish I knew when I first started is that nobody really knows everything um, and you probably will never know everything. And it's sort of all about learning as you go um, and you know, figuring out what you don't know and sort of learning from everyone around you and understanding that you know they don't have the whole picture and neither do you. And you kind of need each other to get the whole picture.
0: Yeah, I think the, there's no way every, everyone knows everything. Is such a big thing because, like, you know, I, when, when I see, um, for example, like you look at job posts and you're like, oh, we want 10 plus Java, 10 plus years of job. And you're like, why? It's changed so much. Like, it, what, what you used to do yeah. 10 years ago means nothing now. And in fact, if you're still doing that, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> and yet you see it across the board.
1: Yeah, I also think, like, just you see a lot in this field, um, people having or sort of feeling like they're not good enough or that they don't know enough, or you know, that they always feel like they're learning something new every day and that that's a bad thing. But I think the mindset is really that it's a good thing, and I think eventually you sort of learn that. But um, it, it's definitely something I see a lot in people who are just kind of getting into the career from the first time. Yeah, I think there's,
0: there's a lot of imposter syndrome in engineering. Totally, because yeah. the roles are changing so often and some roles didn't even exist like three years ago it's like oh this didn't really this wasn't a thing not too long ago and now it is
1: I thought of another one of of just like something I wish I had known and that's yeah. that that language is such an important skill as a programmer um you know I think people can sort of like outside the field think that maybe there's a like you're gonna use math all the time and like uh, you have to know all these like physics equations or something. but like really like I feel like language is the, almost the most important skill uh, for a programmer because of you know syntax. well, you like, you guys all know, but uh, you know you use, you use language as a skill, I think more than more than anything else and, and that's something that I don't think a lot of people necessarily know.
2: Can I, I'm, I'm gonna kind of piggyback on that with my introduction as well. So I'm Rick, I've been professionally programming about seven years, but like, what got me into programming was, I was sort of, an, it's sort of a hobbyist programmer slash tech person since I was probably like 10 or 11, where, this is a fun story, where my grandma had an extra computer from her work, and she gave like a laptop back in the day when laptops were gigantic, and she gave me it, she just gave it to me, she's like, I don't have a use for this. And the only thing you could really do on it is like i programmed it basic on there when i was like 11 or 12 it was crazy and then that grew from there um That's awesome. hey, i have a roundabout way to get to programming but i won't go through that history as much but
0: no, I, I, I just think thinking, i mean I, I i say share the history yeah of i think history. it's valuable personally
2: yeah uh, okay <laughs> i can do that um so yeah I i actually I've always, it's kind of tugging of it. this history is I've always had a personal uh, enjoyment of like biology, science, and things like that. So I ended up actually going to, to microbiology in college, started working it as a lab, you know, as a lab technician doing manual, very manual technical lab work for the book farm, one of our labs here. And um, then they, didn't have a, they had basically no, their their computer software was Excel at the time. And so I sort of, that did, that did not scale well to say, the, to say the least. And we were getting 3000 samples a day and it didn't work well. And so we had to, we I sort of devised in very, very constricted, very um, rudimentary like labs tracking system for the lab. Anyway, that kind of reinvigorated my programming interest um and this whole side irony here is like when I was in college I was doing a career I was re- running a career day for the microbiology group club it's long that's a long story too um but I talked with the computer science people on that I was like, oh, this is kind of a really cool field. I should, like, if I wasn't almost done with my degree, I might consider, you know, picking up a minor in this or something. But I didn't do it because I was, like, my last semester at college. Anyway, so anyway, at the lab, I was reinvigorated into programming this custom, like, laboratory management system. And um, over, I went back to school and got my degree in computer science in, in parallels with that, Um the engineering manager at the time over the lab the lab uh, management team called me up and wanted asked me if i would join over and work with their team so and then through roundabout ways i met randall and um, who's on this as well and he pulled me into digital products realm so thanks randall so i've always so it's been a good journey ever since um Anyway, I was just thinking when Drew was talking. I, this is what I was going to say, and I was kind of piggybacking on it. Was I think things people don't realize when they get into, they like they hear about it, they don't like really know, you don't really experience it until you get into software. Is how much learning takes place. Like you're, it's a, it's sort of a good thing in a way of like you're constantly learning something new. And I think the challenge there is knowing what to learn, you know, and so you become really good at trying to pick through and say is this worth learning? Is this worth learning? And there's so much out there where there's like the, like the JavaScript ecosystem is a great example of this, where things change so many times. There's new libraries that come up all the time and knowing which ones are the ones to look into, which ones are the ones you want to try out. And so it's, it's a fun journey. And it's also a challenge I think for being in software where it's just always changing. I think it's a, I think it's a good thing personally. I enjoy the challenge. So, same, but, but to Derson's point, I do think that causes a lot of imposter syndrome because there's always someone who knows more about it than you. <laughs> and so you're like, am I good enough for this? So yeah, I definitely think it strikes hard into this industry.
1: I think also like, I, I think Randall mentioned this one time um, years ago uh, that there's sort of a point where where programming clicks for you and you sort of turn a corner and you're like, okay, I can, I think I can like sort of use this to do anything now, you know, versus what, while you're learning it, it can feel like abstract and just strange and like a totally new concept, you know, but then you sort of turn a corner where, you know what you need to learn now. And you can use that knowledge to like sort of make what you need to make and know what you need to learn essentially, um,
3: which I always yeah. liked. I can go next. Um, My name is Jamie. I'm a, I'd say, primarily a back-end software engineer here. I have about four and a half years experience. And similar to uh, Brick, I I came over from uh, biochemistry, not here at, but I studied biochemistry. And I got a minor in computer science while at school. And through the advice of a friend, uh, that became my primary focus and eventually my profession. So um, I, would, I would argue the most important, or well, not the most important thing, but uh, something that I wish I had known uh, when I was just starting out um, is that the hiring process, when you're not picked, it's not necessarily about... You weren't the best candidate. It's sometimes just difficult being in the hiring process you know as as a as a member of the hiring team because you're what you find is you're not looking for a needle in a haystack. you're looking for a needle in a stack of needles. You have all these great people with all these really diverse skill sets and excellent experience and the real question comes down to is you know who's the best fit for the team? you know some people think that, Uh, this profession is uh, just a bunch of whiz kids that are the smartest people they ever meet. And they're, you know, geeky and hard to talk to. Sure. I mean, there might be one or two, you know, in the organization or even per team, but arguably team fit is one of the most important things. And, you know, if you're easy to get along with, if you're someone who, you know, works for the betterment of the group rather than yourself, um, there'll always be a place for you. Uh, you know, provided you know you have good fundamentals and you're willing to grow them, the
0: interviewing process and what it means and what it doesn't mean is so big because like, I imagine um, with the amount of jobs out there and the different uh, variations on interview styles, you know company to company, when you're first starting out, i I imagine there's a lot of rejection at first, and that can be Oh yeah, I can definitely be demoralizing, but it's like, like you said, it. no, no it's not you. I mean, it might be you, but chances are it's not yeah. you. Um, it's just you know, it's it's not a. There, it's the interview process isn't about are you good enough. That's certainly the wrong way of thinking about an interview. But yeah, I think that's there. There's an episode right there. Like we could <laughs> talk so much about that stuff. It's absolutely yeah, it's amazing.
2: Well, Dershon, I you you have say this a lot to people in interviews you probably still do where towards the end of the interview we go through the technical stuff and everything but you have mentioned in the past like it's not just like the person interviewing sort of also interviewing the company they're wanting to work for or the team it's like make sure that you like they, they think this is the right place for them you know and
1: totally and we've
2: had people and we've had people come to us and say things like do you guys you know I really want to do like machine learning. How much do you guys do? And we don't do a ton of that right now. And so it's kind of like, they find whether I fit for you if this is what your passion is, you know? Or anyway, I think it's a I think it goes both ways in the interview process where the, and I, I think you're 100% spot. On. This is a whole other episode topic, but it's like people come in and say, hey, am I good enough to get interviewed? But it really isn't that. It's like, there's a whole, there's a whole list of variables that go into hiring somebody. And one of the, those one of those things is that person their skill, but the team fit is the person right for the company? Is the company is the company for the person? Etc. And it goes both ways. I think on every on the interview process. I think yeah, I think this is a whole topic. But I think people can take interviews very personal, very hard at the time. I and mean, it's a it is a hard time in life. But anyway, I digress. I also <laughs> I
1: think just whole, in general. Th- this is a field where interviews are just more difficult than normal, I think. You know, which is definitely true. But like, y- you get used to it, obviously. But um, I think it's a it's a higher higher level stress interview than than the, the typical interview, just because of the technical nature of it and the sort of on the spot nature of it. You know?
3: Yeah, and and I would uh, just kind of round out. You know, what I I wish I had understood more clearly. Now I had a friend that really helped me navigate. Uh, being a new grad. But the truth is also people aren't, I mean, teams might be looking for people who have all kinds of things on their resume, even as a new grad. But from what my experience has been and what I've seen, it's, it's more about really strong fundamentals and good exposure. You know, if you're a new grad, no one's expecting you to have built you know, a- enterprise level pieces of software with uh, perfect techniques, modern principles, you know, <laughs> th- those are things you, you I, I would argue you kind of learn through mentorship, you know, so having strong fundament- fundamentals allows you to build through mentorship on top of something that's, you know, solid. So, you know, good baselines, uh, you know, good foundations lead to good houses, I guess.
4: Cannot agree more, Jamie. Very well said. I'm Randall. I've been a software engineer for like 17 years, which sounds kind of crazy to think about. Um, mainly and more recently on the front end side of things. Um, but a lot of experience in database and some sort of the, the what the web is even built on today and, and PHP and some of these other languages that I don't really write all that often anymore. But um, lot of exposure to all those different things um i got into programming i was just sort of a tinkerer as a kid sort of like it's been mentioned before but i would do sort of weird stuff like i learned basic and when i was like 12 and when even when i was younger than that i would do fun stuff with with like a mac and i would reconfigure it to play different sounds when it would boot up like i'll just just would kind of tinker and play around with stuff and then believe it or not when i was Dating my wife, this was, I mean, we were high school sweethearts, but my father-in-law was a systems engineer at uh, Dominion Energy, and he's hes a really, really good, strong engineer, but he uh, got me into programming because he needed help on a side project, and he was probably just being charitable towards me, but he taught me PHP and, and JavaScript way, way back when, and then I got a job doing it, and um, shortly after I got married and have kind of been in that space ever since. And I've really enjoyed it. Um, But along the same lines of if I had to say what what I wish I knew more at the beginning was I sort of dived into the immediate technologies and frameworks and what was happening um, and sort of learned the systems and then had to rework back to learn the foundations. Um, and, and that, that, I mean, it worked out for me, but I, I had an awareness of that and sort of went back and learned those foundations. And I, as, as Jamie just mentioned, that was a huge, huge help. Once I learned the foundations and sort of uh, had those, I could do more with, and, and frameworks and languages sort of just come and go, but those, those foundations sort of stay and I can apply those, that foundational knowledge just about anywhere. Um, So that's super helpful. Uh, Other things that I really, um, I think I'm actually good at this. So it's not really like I wish I would have learned this, but I see a lot of programmers struggle is sort of this um, expectation misalignment maybe, or uh, yeah, like there's an expectation that I think people put on themselves that's unfair they expect they need to master React, some like new context API or hooks or whatever. And and that's good and all, but I think that there's like, you, I would recommend to take, sort of slow down and read through the docs and sort of not just sort of dive in and watch a YouTube video about it and sort of move off, but sort of understand at a foundational level how those things work so you can properly use them and understand them. It, it, it turns out much better for me in that way. Um, and one more thing is also don't be afraid to dive in and break stuff. And I don't mean like production systems at your work. I mean, just, just do like, it's okay. It's okay. I think this goes along with expectations. Like you should be breaking stuff as a programmer like on your local machine, whatever, if you see errors or whatever, that's normal and totally expected. I know engineers that see that and get really discouraged when things don't just work and part i think part of our job as engineers are troubleshooting and ability to sort of oh here's an error i can fix that and sort of having that mentality and just sort of knocking those dominoes down until you understand what's what's going on and how to make it work
1: i couldn't agree more and not only is it normal it's it's Like it's, you can't understand how normal it is. It's like literally an everyday thing. Like you will debug every single day in this job and you will run into errors every single day. And like the testing field exists for that reason. And, and there isn't an engineer on the planet that it isn't like that for, you know, like I've been fortunate enough to work at, you know, a fortune 100 company with some genuinely some of the best engineers that exist and they all wrote code with bugs, you know, like that's just part of, uh, part of the gig and, um, And just, and part of being a professional in this business is not sort of stressing out about bugs and and seeing them as opportunities, like you said, to, you know, I can fix this. Um,
0: One of the companies I worked for, they had a thing. And I mean, it was kind of tongue in cheek, but also kind of serious, not serious, but like real because all the most senior engineers had done this, but they're like, you're not a real engineer till you've lost the company a million dollars. Because
3: that's <laughs> that
1: was just the reality of it. Yeah. Yeah. And that I think it's part of like the dopamine thing that that Dersh was talking about too. You know, it's satisfying to to fix those errors and and to get your systems to a point where they feel clean and they feel like they're working. And um, you know, that's that's part of what I love about being a tester is that that's a genuinely satisfying thing when you find bugs and and they get fixed. You know.
5: Uh, my name is Jihoon. I've been working as a state developer, and regarding my career, so the first uh, my experience with the programming was uh, like in I don't know elementary school or maybe junior uh, junior school. I was uh, uh, able to participate the uh, kind of special uh, the programming courses at uh, school, so I learned. Uh, it I believe it was the basic uh, language for language called the basic. So it is a simple, uh, really uh, human readable uh, language. But uh, uh, with uh, throughout mo- number of courses, a uh, number of classes, I was uh, uh, writing some simple code. And then the one thing I still remember it was with uh, some special code that uh, I was. Uh, the task was uh, print out like a Christmas tree with uh, all text base. So I was uh, super impressed with that with uh, a small number of lines of code and we can print out a really large uh, <laughs> Christmas uh, tree with uh, different text uh, special code. So I was uh, really impressed with that uh, programming language at the moment and then uh, uh, once I uh, decided the career, I didn't choose the programming right away, but uh, eventually I rented in uh, software engineering, and, and I learned uh, based on that. Based on that, my previous really uh, good impression with the programming language, I was able to follow uh, learning language, programming language, and then. And that's why I uh, keep doing that and and regarding uh, programming yeah so java kind of was my first uh, language and throughout my college a courses number of courses uh, working with the java language and that's uh, luckily uh, java is still kind of a common <laughs> popular language so I can utilize that in my experience but uh uh, nowadays, uh, what I was th- what I'm thinking is uh, working as a software developer or uh, maybe uh, like a uh, lady developer or engineering manager. It's not uh, the language is not only enough. We, as we may already know, a lot of the different things. We have to. Uh, learn or, or be good at like communication or managing. Uh, well, basically, like a work, uh, we have to be good, uh, good at uh, working with others. Uh, so that's I think those skills and and those software ability is um, much important than uh, programming language itself right now. So, anyway, uh, that's my story and, uh, about me. and And I've been doing, uh, I've been enjoying uh, working with uh, Pi team uh, a little over a year, and then I learned a lot. and Hopefully, I can uh, share my knowledge as we go. Um, that's all for me.
1: I really liked your point about the soft skills. I think that's a, a great point. Yeah, like how collaborative. Yeah it really isn't mm-hmm. a job and that's something that's maybe not so um yeah. so like straightforward or you know people don't necessarily know that before getting into the field how, how collaborative it really is you know you're not just sitting by yourself working on code exactly. every day you know in a vacuum you're working with other people so
5: Yep. yeah so a lot of things to we have to learn <laughs> Yep.
1: right
0: Thanks, Juhun. Uh,
6: mm-hmm. Tanya, you're up. You're up next. Okay. Um, so I'm Tanya. I should say Tanya Aya because my last name is long, but um, I have worked in technology for about 12 years. Um, and before that, I worked on the business side um, at Myriad. And um, my education is in business um, administration and management, um, but I'm now continuing education in psychology. Um, however, I do believe that all of it relates to um, what I do now and what I will do in the future. So for technology, I, I found myself, um, I guess, in, on the business side, observing um, software and the way that users interacted with software. And I saw a lot of opportunity um, to improve um, their interactions and how they used it. Um, and efficiencies, um, but without anyone who really could represent um, them as a user, but also effectively work in technology. And I would say that this was actually about 12 years ago. Um, so product management, at least in a, a from a software perspective, wasn't really out there yet. And if it was, it was maybe not a huge trade that was happening. So Um, When I moved into technology, I was a um, software test engineer, manual testing to begin with. Um, And then I I went into business um, analysis at that point. And then I kind of just moved through different roles as they became available in technology that was not a test engineer, was not a, a software engineer, was not a software engineer manager, Um, but was that kind of critical person in between the users and the engineers. So in a way, I was actually doing product management um, before I even knew it. So before I realized. So with that said, when that was happening, I investigated um, product ownership through like the Scrum and Agile um, principles and did certifications there. Um, And I really liked just being able to relate to users, um, but work with work with the engineers to deliver um, you know, usable products. I, I also found myself being kind of you know concerned while in engineering, if what was being built um, was being built in a way that was valuable to customers and um, to the company. And so when that started happening, I then looked into this more and became certified in product management as well. Um, of course, using business management, education, institutional knowledge from the business side, which I think was really beneficial. Um, and then yeah, so here I am. And I think, I think what is fulfilling about this is that when you deliver products that make customers happy and you can see the, you know, the metrics going up and to the right. Um, which means, you know, you're, you're doing a good job um, and the team is doing a good job, then, you know, that's, that's fulfilling, that's delivering something. And I really like that. I really like that feeling. Um, I love team collaboration. I'm a strong believer that um, it takes a team um, to do things. It's not just one person. And so as a product manager, you kind of You're in a leadership role without being a people manager, which (laughs) um, I kind of have enjoyed to be honest, but I love that because you're seeing something um, successful and you're learning and growing um, and still working with people. So yeah, that's really it.
0: Thanks Tanya. There's, I think as, as engineering and software development has evolved, it's nice to see roles like product management fill themselves out. Um, it, makes, it makes it a lot easier to have, um, have a liaison to the customer that can speak both technology and, um, <laughs> I'm gonna say human, but that's not quite right because we all speak you know, the human side of things, but really focusing on that. Because as engineers, I think we get lost in what technology can do and forget it. it's what technology can do for people.
6: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the maybe a way to explain that is knowing your audience, right? Like the way that I interact or talk with the engineers is going to be different than the way that I interact and talk with the user. Um, but I have to take in the whole picture into account because in the end, you know, we're delivering something and it has to be understood by both. Um, so, yeah, that whole knowing your audience, I find. Um, enjoyable to kind of flip my hat around, okay, I'm, I'm with engineering, okay, now I'm switching, I'm actually talking to doctors, right, and so I really, I really like that part of product as well.
1: I think, like, we're starting to see a, a theme a little bit of, you know, half, half of us basically came from, you know, an education programming type background, and the other half came from you know, sort of working in another field or another job uh, and leveraging knowledge of a business or something, or just leveraging, like, knowledge of a company uh, to sort of work your way into the software field. I think, like, I, I definitely fall into that category. I think Rick arguably does as well, and, and Tanya, of course, um, but it's a perfectly viable path, and, you know, I think it's good to, like, show people that that you know there's there's other ways to get into the industry rather than you know just having a super strong programming background first and then getting into it you know
3: yeah i i think that's really great to point that out and if i could add on top of that um when i when i'm participating in uh cs career subreddit uh something that comes up a lot is hey uh this team actually needs a Needs a product support uh, person, or they need a manual tester, or they need a uh, another role that's maybe not sh- uh, sh- strictly aligned with software development. But in their hearts, these people they know they want to be software engineers. Like they're like, this is what you know. I've been preparing for throughout school for four years, but the only people who take me is people who are looking for these roles. You know, and. Um, I've, I've kind of warned people against like going, hey, why don't you take that role and then in two years or in six months or whatever their timeline is, you know, approach them about wanting to move into software development. I've always told people it's like, if that's what you want to do, that's what you should be looking for. And that's how you should be approaching it. Um, because when someone like, I mean, even our team, it's like when we want a, a test engineer, we want someone dedicated to it, that's dedicated to the craft of it, right? Not looking to try and use it as a, a way to break in and only because it's even harder to find a good test engineer than it is to find a good software engineer. You know, that's the only reason there's an opening, right? Um, so, I mean, what do, you, what do you think about that, Drew, having, you know, notice that people kind of approach this from different career standpoints.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's changed over time too, like especially with testing, like automated testing, <clears throat> excuse me, is, a, is honestly a fairly new thing in the grand scheme of things, you know? Um, when I started my career, it wasn't really even on the radar hardly. Um, <clears throat> and yeah, I think a lot of people, because of that, because it was you know mostly manual testing, they do see it as a stepping stone um into development but i do think it truly is its own discipline and you know people can find that they might want to make their own careers out of just testing which is obviously what i've done um but it's a little more rare you know a lot of people want to become software developers it's a little more um you know fancy or i don't know (laughs) but uh but you know testing definitely has become sort of its own discipline and something you can seek seek sink your teeth into and um you know make it its own thing, make its own career out of it.
0: And yeah, me personally, I got hired as a
4: help desk engineer when I was 19 and, um, within a couple of years I'd moved out. I became an IT manager at a, a company and then I started really programming, uh, Mostly at that point, I mean, I was managing, I was scripting everything, and then I was managing web applications and building large new web applications that were business critical. And that's like, I did not get in the field as a programmer initially. I sort of molded into it, as you guys were saying, and it it worked out really well. So I think that's really good
2: advice. Yeah. Oh, sorry.
3: Go ahead, Rick. I don't want to take up.
2: I was just going to say, yeah, I, I mean, mine was similar to Randall where like when I came over to the tech side of things from the laboratory, my initial job there wasn't even a junior software engineer. I was a, I did production support, which I actually was a really valuable role for a lot of reasons. Um, that could be a whole other topic too, but that experience gave me um, clarity into like what it means to be a test engineer versus a software engineer versus this production support role I was in. And i was in a really good spot to help the users of our software and i learned our software and eventually i grew into the junior software engineering role um so yeah like i didn't like and i came from a, the whole different background from then i kind of grew my skills in in development as a production support engineer and it grew into where i'm at today as a you know software engineer for the digital products team so Anyway, long story short, yeah, I don't think I think it's really good to point out that you don't have to take this traditional route of well, I major in computer science and you know, maybe going to master computer science and I'm not going to be doing an internship and all this stuff. I think you can find alternative routes into software. All
0: right, uh, Jen, you're up.
7: All right. Uh, what I have to contribute is really similar to Tanya. Um, project management where I started, um, when I started was very unofficial, I guess you could say. I mean, project management itself, you know, in the waterfall traditional sense on large government projects has been around for a long time. I think the first time it was ever used was on the Manhattan Project. So that's a great start to a, <laughs> a career industry. Um, but... I actually did not know that. That's uh... Yeah. It's as far as I know, that's the case. Um, so it's not wild. the greatest, not the greatest history, <laughs> but I mean, obviously the project had to work. So interesting, interesting kind of first foray into the, into the area there many years ago, obviously. Um, but when I was in school, I wanted to be involved in animation really bad. And I, and I wanted to do production management and I knew it wasn't like I'm not an animator I'm not an artist but I did um really want to build and develop those films from like the production standpoint getting things done being accountable for the overall delivery on time of films and I and and really and it wasn't so much just animation I happen to love animation um but that that exercise of delivery and at the time you know. I was only aware that that kind of career existed in animation. So as I developed my career, worked in animation, worked in gaming, um, and then later app development, um, even things like direct mail and large format printing, I over those years learned that project management can exist and program management can exist in pretty much any industry, which is actually something I really love about it. and it has kind of morphed and become more official throughout that time. It was you know, very kind of not primitive, but early on when I started my career, been doing it for about 12 years, maybe a little bit more. So it's, uh, somebody mentioned that, you know, the methodologies and the frameworks always change, but the core skills remain. And I definitely found that to be true with um, project and program management. And also, you know, having worked at this point, mostly with engineering teams of all different types, uh, working with engineers is, is, is fantastic. Very similar to working with animators, actually (laughs) personalities are fantastic. They're all over the board. Um, really great people, super smart there. I do agree. Um, I see a lot of imposter syndrome with, with engineering as a whole. And can resonate really with that um, from a program and project management standpoint. Um, the best project and program managers that I've worked with in my career are the ones that want the critical feedback. They feel like if you're just giving compliments, they're doing something wrong or you're not being honest <laughs> with them because uh, they are really those high performing individuals and want to constantly be improving and know that they could be doing something better. So myself and those that i that have reported to me in the past or that I've worked with in the past, the best um, individuals I've worked with are always like looking to improve and, and wondering what they could do better. So same with developers and, and engineers uh, in general. And I think someone also mentioned that soft skills are super important. And as that kind of liaison between engineering teams, other teams, uh, it is super important to have that on my end and on the engineers that I'm working with. It's definitely easier to work with engineers who are willing to, you know, I like teams that will let me kind of be be the guinea pig for, for, for processes or you know anything that I'm trying to build and not, you know be too frustrated if something changes and you know, obviously adhering to minimum viable bureaucracy process you know process for process sake fills everyone but that that relationship building and you know working together is definitely a huge asset for for my role when I work with engineers for sure so definitely not on the engineering side but resonate with a lot of what you all are saying for sure and how it relates to my role and that's all I've got
0: yeah, that's I think that's another role that I, I'm glad um it's come into come into engineering and software development. Um because again, I think it's easy for us as engineers to get lost in the engineering side of it. And it's good to have various people saying, hey, remember this is you're not doing it for the tech part of it. I mean, that's great that you're doing the tech part. But it's in service of some other purpose. It's, you know, uh, very rarely, I mean, there are, I guess, jobs out there that are um, technology for the sake of technology, like research jobs, but in general, you're building technology for some uh, greater purpose. And it's good to have product and project management keep that top of mind and kind of bring us, bring us back from rabbit holes.
1: Well, and keep us efficient, you know, because like you can you can complete a project, but you know if it takes you two years to complete a one year project, then you know that's yeah. obviously a problem. and <laughs> yeah like, I think you can, I think you can objectively point to the improvement in a project. if you have those roles, you know, if you have a program manager, if you have a TPM, like you can see the difference in the software uh, when a team has those roles and they don't, I think.
4: two years to build
1: the wrong project yes exactly exactly yeah totally (laughs) see but it's so cool it does all these things yeah like yeah but no one wanted this (laughs) (laughs) right well and that's the thing too it's like engineers don't have that um don't have that scope like they don't know necessarily what the what the stakeholders want they don't know what the users want like uh and it's very easy to build something that nobody really wants, you know, and that's that's you know an important thing that program management brings is is the actual vision and, and some clarity, you know, on what we're trying to make here so that we don't, like you said, just make the wrong thing. Yeah, yeah, it's,
0: we're, we're all about the solution, but it's good to have someone focusing on what the problem
1: actually is. Uh, I so, think that's, oh, go ahead. I was just gonna ask like, what you guys how you guys feel or what you guys think is a good way to overcome imposter syndrome because that's something that seems to have been brought up a lot and um, you know is it just like a mindset thing do you think or do you think it's more just like diving in and learning stuff so you become more confident or what do you guys think
0: I, I I mean I have an opinion on it I think I think the first thing that um, and th- this probably applies to any role, or you know, just b- more broadly in life is uh, don't compare yourself with other people. It's not you know you're not trying to be better, um, or you're not trying to see if are you better or worse or the same as some other individual on the team. I think it's recognizing that you bring what you bring to the team in your own way and constantly improving that. So if you're going to compare yourself with anyone. It's um, you know who you were yesterday, the day before, last year, and asking yourself, am I, am I doing what I do better? Not, am I better than so and so, or worse than so and so? I think that that can go a long ways in defeating imposter syndrome because you, you've taken out this expectation that I think uh, Jamie was mentioning or Randall was mentioning that, you know, there, the, the expectation you're really putting that on yourself and it's actually not a it's not an objective expectation in most cases
7: I think just acknowledging so, it too is super important I really like, that. like just knowing that you have it <laughs> and that it's a thing and that it's okay
1: yeah
7: and then you know seeking out feedback and and constantly you know you know just focusing on improving I did actually recently read. And Oatmeal, if anyone's familiar with the oatmeal, um, he did like a why it's hard to take positive feedback comic. And it's so funny (laughs) and very true. It's also hard to take positive feedback because you think people are, you know, are they being sincere? Are they, you know, trying to get something out of you? All of that, because we are built to not take that. So if anyone's interested, I can either share it. Uh, I don't know if it's safe for work, but if you want to go and search for it too, it's out there.
4: Yeah, that's, that's a great comic. I think I've seen that one. It's
3: awesome.
7: It's really funny. I love any of his stuff, but
3: I'll have to check that out. Um, I was uh, going to add to the imposter syndrome thing, especially for new grads and new hires. Um, uh, d- just in general, it's like the interview process we, we've already discussed is quite long and uh, thorough in most cases. You know, People get technical interviews and they get whiteboard interviews. They get they get all kinds of uh, tests to make sure they're the right person for the job at this point in their career, right? So then why a week later when you're on the job being, uh, why would you suddenly be like, oh, you know, I'm I'm not a right fit. All these people are way smarter than me. I can't do this work. It's really challenging. You know, they just threw this big curveball at me, you know, and then suddenly this, this imposter syndrome just starts building right away. And the truth is, they picked you (laughs) you know what I mean they picked you they know exactly where you're at or they should exactly and so it the best thing to just do is to just ask what is the you know what is the standard you're expecting how you know where where do you believe I'm at where do you think I can go and work with your manager, work with your senior leadership to achieve that. You know what I mean? And that's essentially basically uh, unless you've got 30 years experience and you're, you know, you're the subject matter expert in your field, there's probably someone you can be learning from. So, you know, when you when you decide on a team that's the right fit for you, make sure they have someone that you can learn from or that will learn with you. Because so I think that's I think that's really important. And helps with the imposter syndrome.
0: I, I really like that because I think what you're highlighting is imposter syndrome creeps its way in when there is a vacuum or lack of clarity on the expectations. And Absolutely. If there is just yeah, just ask it, get clarity, and then you'll have you're not filling the void with you know, nebulous thoughts and expectations. You have a very clear set. Um, I actually, I think that's, that, that can go a huge way because now you've got an actual thing to compare yourself against. That's not other people. And then that's not invented from your own, uh, let's just say baggage.
3: Okay, <laughs> hey, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you, know, uh, having been, um, you know, having been, you know, having the years experience that I have, you know, this is my second big team. Uh, in software engineering and second company um, you know uh, coming to this team the the thing that really excited me the most and and really sold it is that i didn't i didn't come from a ton of experience with automated testing i didn't have a dedicated tester on a previous team and i also never really interacted with my pm and when i was in the interview and got to sit down with drew and or hear about why Drew does what he does, why it's important. You know, ask him, oh, how did you end up here versus anywhere else you could have been? And, you know, he, you know, I, I of course, I, res- I respect everything everyone does, but he, uh, you know, demonstrated to me the importance through the way he sees his work, you know, and, and instantly not having ever worked with someone who did automate, built automated tests or worked as a dedicated tester. Instantly, I was like, okay, I want to learn more from this guy, you know, and then the same thing happened (laughs) right after that I had I had my interview with Tanya and the same thing happened and I was just like, you know, I never even spoke to my PM at my previous uh, organization. And here I'm sitting across from somebody who, you know, is like an octopus she she has a different arm in in every aspect of the business, in order to understand it from a complete, you know, top down and bottom up and then, and then be able to provide direction from there. You know, that's seeing, seeing her, uh, share just even a, a glimpse of that role, you know, helped me realize, wait a minute, this person's not just deciding what we do they're They're steering the ship in terms of where the, this part of the company can and will go, you know, and that, that really sold, you know, uh, you know, again, of course, you know, respect everybody for what they do, but it, it gave me an internal understanding of like, hey, this is why this role, just like testing, is extremely valuable, even though I never even really seen it before. You know, so I think I think for, for, you know, again, from a, a newer grad perspective or a newer team member perspective, seeing roles you didn't necessarily interact with before. Um you know, is, is great, and and you can you can learn uh, you can learn additional respect and additional uh, leverage with those people.
1: I wanted to go back to something you guys were talking about earlier, and around like asking questions to get clarity, and sort of that helping out with imposter syndrome. And I think like that's it's just in general a really good skill set to have as an engineer. Like I think if you are the type of person that's like afraid to ask questions because you'll you know look stupid or whatever, I think like you'll really struggle in this field because you know you really have to ask people questions every day you have to get clarity on things all the time um, and like you can never really learn or grow like as an engineer without asking hard questions on a regular basis like i think it's just a really really important skill to have yeah i
0: agree it, there's no dumb question but there are lots lots of dumb assumptions
2: yeah, I was, I was gonna say, like, I find the, find the worst thing to do is assume something because when you do that, you're gonna be wrong. <laughs> I, I just it's yeah. just true in life generally, but definitely in software. Where I've made assumptions with my code or my software and thought this is how it's gonna work, and I'm totally wrong. So I that's I I uh, that's why where I, my questions try to come from is just making sure I understand everything going into the problem, into the solution making sure those assumptions, my assumptions aren't biasing me to do the work a certain way. So yeah, I think I think asking questions is one of the most important things you do.
6: Yeah, well, I, I think mean, those like, questions oh, sorry. make, sorry, just, I was just going to say those questions make such a huge difference in like the functionality, right? And how it's going to perform. So it's like, of course, ask those questions. You're in the code. Like, I, I love the questions. And that is, I think that's important Really important to note about you know a product manager, a UX designer, a program manager, a project manager, and then the engineers and even test engineers is that that's why I'm so big on team. It's like sure I'll bring in you know let's just say best case scenario seventy percent of the requirements of like needs to do this I can answer this it has to do this and this is why and I can give you know everybody that. But it takes the team to look at it and say oh what about this or i'm thinking of something or what you know there's no it, our positions are not in isolation like and that's what makes us good and so as being a product manager um listening and taking information and using it the right way and prioritizing and stuff is so important um but i can't i can't do it alone right and so it, ha- it has to be a team so that's why full circle back to your questions brick like we have to have those questions we have to have conversations and sometimes we have to have them over and over again until we get to the point where like okay now we've hit it right so i'm all about the questions
0: any other questions about anything we've discussed otherwise we can maybe pull up some topics from uh cs career questions and see what we think i don't know what what do you guys want to do sounds good some
3: of those are fun i've got one for you guys i saw just last night um yeah the conversation i was having with someone um what do you guys think of the so there seems to be like a a a divide where companies are saying oh you know we don't have enough engineers you know we're always trying to hire more engineers we can't find anybody but there's just no strong candidates you know um, versus on the new grad side, there's seems to be a horde of new grads where they're like, hey, I'm looking for a job. I have applied a thousand times. No one uh, seems to get back to me. What am I doing wrong? Um, do you guys think that that gulf is, is real in reality? And why do you think that that exists? If, if it does, you know, if you accept the premise. Or, or why not? Why doesn't it exist? I think...
1: Uh, I think part of it is like a lot of um, hiring managers for engineering are sort of, I don't know if like greedy is the word, but basically, you know, they, they want the person with experience that can jump in and, and work right away. Um, but in my opinion, like, I think, I think our team does a really good job of this at looking for candidates that can learn, like we keep talking about and, you know, can sort of pick things up and our expectation isn't necessarily that someone can join and immediately contribute like, you know, tons of code right away and stuff. It's more like, you know, will they be a good fit and can they contribute on a realistic timeline? Um, And so like, I guess it just depends on, you know, where you're trying to get a job at, but I do think that's one thing that, you know, uh, graduates might struggle with is that you know, you do have to get into the field sort of as a junior a lot of times. And, you know, the junior jobs are just harder to find, I think, than, the you know, the middle or the more experienced jobs.
2: I, I don't know if I have an answer to your direct question, Jamie, um, but I was thinking about it where I, th- and I think what Drew's saying is, I, 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 I want to agree with Drew on this one. And I also want to say, like, I think for our team, a lot of it comes down to like when you're hiring somebody into your company full-time, you're not just hiring them as they are today, but like their future potential. So you kind of have to take into stock of like when you're interviewing this person or seeing these people come in, um, what what's their potential going to be like in, you know, 90 days, six months, maybe a year, who knows, five years from now, if, they, if they're here long for a long time you kind of have to say like this is someone who's going to bring value to our team our company um how are they going to do that and those are hard those are hard judgments to make to be fair um in like an hour an interview in an hour or something and so that's i think that's why the interview process gets so hard in software too but um yeah i, I mean i'm kind of curious even though you asked the question jane i'm kind of curious what your answer what you might answer that
3: question is all right. Um, yeah, that's that's that. Thank you, Brick, for, for asking. Um, I, I think that I think the Gulf uh, does exist. Uh, you, you see lots of people on both sides, um, you know, people with experience and, and experienced teams going, oh, we can't find people. And you you see new grads on the other side saying, no, one will hire me, <laughs> you know. And um, I think that Gulf exists for a couple of reasons. I think one. Um, maybe not this particular team, but I would argue that other teams may look at new grads as, well, shoot, I'm going to spend two years training this person and they're going to jump. You know, that, I think that's a, real, that's a real fear that essentially when a new grad comes on board, that they're, you know, like you said, they're not as productive right out the gate, you know, but if they have potential, they'll come up to speed and they'll be a contributor, right? Well, arguably i think at the two-year mark is when they you know is when they kind of you know get over the hump right and they're like a a really productive team member um so i think i think from the hiring side there there may be a little bit of bias against hiring a a fresh graduate um, for the idea that you you'd have to you you're going to essentially teach them on the job how to do the job right um and that kind of that kind of moves in the direction of i think I think uh, there's an educational responsibility that may um, may not be being met entirely and so like you look at CS career subreddit right that's essentially the subreddit for hey I studied CS but I want to be a software engineer an automated test engineer um, and so on right or I want to be a PM. Um, rarely do you see uh, posts, post and they're like, hey, I want to pursue a PhD in machine learning. You know what I mean? They do exist, but they're not the dominant posts. And um, I think that kind of like is shorthand um, for the, the problem, which is essentially people, they study computer science, right? In most cases and computer science and to some degree is applied math, right? Uh, but then you know, there's also, you could have studied software engineering, you know, as a major as well in in some institutions, and that's becoming more popular. And I think maybe as education produces more people that are software engineering focused, it's not just about good fundamentals at that point, but it's also about like, hey, I actually came knowing this framework a little bit. I've dabbled in it and built projects and did my, you know, did my capstone in it? It's like great, so I don't have to show you how to do spring right off the bat, right? Um, so I, I think maybe there's a divide there, and then I think um, I think new grants maybe struggle finding uh, finding places because that my impression has been that you know when we've been hiring, it's not that we got ten thousand applicants and it was a needle in a stack of needles problem, but In some cases, it was we got three needles and unfortunately, none were the right fit for us. You know, Um, so I think maybe new grads need to expand how they look for jobs, maybe not go for the lowest hanging fruit, which is, you know, just hit up everything on LinkedIn with a click of a button and then hit up everything on Indeed. You know, sometimes you have to actually go, hey, where are the major industries? You know, hey, there's the uh, tech triangle in Chapel Hill, Raleigh, and uh, Durham in North Carolina, right? Maybe I'll just look for every company there and see what their hiring looks like. You know, instead of just relying on a hiring manager to have put something on LinkedIn where then 10,000 people applied. You know, so I I think it's maybe it's on both sides. And I think it's almost like a (laughs) self-inflicted industry wound. You know, we could close that gap ourselves. We produce, I think, I mean, think about it. Um, every college produces like 100 CS graduates a year. How could there possibly be a shortage, even if a third of them aren't, you know? uh, I actually weigh in, weigh in now that I've said that.
0: What I was gonna say is, you know, I, I had a specific thought on this question, but now reflecting on some of the stuff we've talked about, specifically like the imposter syndrome and the the diverse pathways to engineering, I think it, it, yeah, like you said, it's, I don't know if it's self conflicted but I think there is a gap and it exists because there is, no, there is no one way to get to engineering. There's no one way, you know, you, we keep using the term new grads, but a lot of people who apply for engineering positions aren't new grads. They're people who found themselves in engineering, through various pathways, not necessarily through a bachelor's degree in computer science. Um, and I, I, th- I think part of it is that there are so many different pathways and that there isn't really a good accepted definition. right? There is no, um, uh, there is no uh, sh- like an LSAT or something like that for engineering, um, for software engineering. I mean, I guess there's like a- I certification I maybe. Yeah. Like, and, and I think that maybe that's what it is, is there's like, you know, if you, if you want to become a lawyer, there's a very specific pathway. And then the expectation is that pathway gives you the skills you need to, you know, it's, it's almost like a prescribed pathway for a lot of different fields. Whereas software engineering, I mean, they it's so open. And so you get people who, who are like, oh, I'm an, you know, I'm a software engineer, but it's like, even that term will, you know, there is one, two, three, four, five, six software engineers in this meeting, and none of us have had the same pathway, and I argue none of us have the same skill set, which is wild. Totally,
1: totally agree.
2: I was just I think, thinking, uh... oh, go ahead, Drew. Oh, go
1: ahead.
2: I was just saying, I was just thinking kind of what Dershon's saying is, I think the hard part with that is too is like when you start to say like and, and don't get me wrong people have tried to find ways to say if you have this certification I mean you're a good software engineer if you don't I, I think the problem is, is just didn't say like oh we need to hire software engineers to do our project we look at it and say like my neighbor was my old neighbor was a software engineer and he and he he had different skill sets as a software engineer than I did like obviously we had the same ideas of we both kind of have the same ideas on the fundamental level like randall was saying that every company needs you for different different reasons for their software and it's hard to say like because like for example his position he was working at a company where they uh, manufactured some 3d modeling products and they their stuff was all on ruby on rails and like they're i'm sure they were probably like why would we hire a java person to come do that we need someone who knows ruby and i think that did and it, it, they have a whole different aspect of like, they didn't have any real clients facing software. It was all like ma- managing their warehouse and their logistics. Most of their software was facing, like, wasn't facing general public. And so, like, having a nice looking front end wasn't a need for like a huge need for the company kind of thing. And I think, like, there's such a there's such a high diversity of like, there's so many things you can focus on of like, oh, like, when Randall says he's a front, front end engineer. There's a lot going into that statement. Same with saying, like, um, you know, someone says, like, I'm a backend engineer, but, like, so what what goes into that to say, like, well, when you say backend engineer, what do you mean by that? And so people who are in the industry know those terms and have to kind of filter that out, but, like, an HR recruiter is like, oh, you need software people. We we need to make software. And I think it's hard to, like, get that narrowed down to say, only for this specific person to have this specific skill set I think it requires, like Jamie's saying, like you have to find that needle in the haystack of, Oh, yeah, I need a Ruby developer. Cause we have this one thing, our company that needs Ruby for some reason, you know, anyway. I think it's just the, there's just a wide diversity of skills required to be, to do software. And we mentioned this earlier. Not everyone knows everything about so- like every not everything knows everyone about software, <laughs> everything about software. You have to find the right, right people for the job. And anyway, I think I it, think it, to oh, bring you back just, on that, like. like,
1: like people who are looking to get into the industry can help themselves by not pigeonholing themselves into one specific thing or one specific discipline. Or, you know, I think, I think just about every engineer has a preference between front end and back end, but uh, it's, I think, you know, you never like to hear someone say I refuse to do front end or I refuse to do back end, you know, or I refuse to use this specific language or, you know, those are definitely turn off things for uh, hiring managers because, you know, a lot, especially these days, like more and more, I think companies are looking for full stack engineers and, or at least, you know, people who are willing to, to work on different things. And so, you know, if you really like Python or whatever, don't just know Python, you know, go and learn some more things um, because you'll be a more valuable candidate that way. Yeah. 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 And, and also I if you don't know JavaScript, have... don't put it on your resume. <laughs>
4: Oh, great advice, but it, it's those foundations, like if I like if you get you learn those foundations of, of computer science, which is sometimes hard, and it's a little bit abstract but. Taking on another language is sort of just syntax right the basics don't change all that much Oh, those foundations are usually there.
2: Yeah, and I, th- well, I think how this is applying back to like Jamie's question is this creates an environment where companies are looking for a narrow set of applicants or applicants looking for a broad set of companies. And so just because, they, you know, eventually you need money to live and want to get hired and have a good job and all those things.
3: Pay hey, bills, and 5 a I get you.
2: Yeah. So I think it kind of creates a natural gulf.
0: Well, I think we have our next topic, which I think it's going to be recruiting and hiring and getting a job and all of that. Uh, all right. Thank you guys. Uh, Great. See you next time. Yep, thank you. Thanks, Gershon. Thank you so much for tuning in and we hope to see you next time where we'll be discussing recruiting, the good, the bad, and the ugly.